Welcome to the Phase World Podcast, engaging conversations that cross the boundaries between business, art, and the digital world. Hi there. Welcome to the Phase World Podcast. This is your host Fei Wu. You are now listening to part two of my interview with a brilliant young man whose name is George Ko. At age 22, again, so far the youngest guest on my show, George is a pianist, young Steinway artist, and an undergrad at Harvard, majoring in music. So, in this part of my conversation with George, he starts to talk about the business side of things. After founding four startups in just one and a half years at Harvard, being a freshman and then first half of sophomore year. I figure that George could really share some secret set of skills, the aha moments that contributed to his success, and perhaps inspire other musicians like himself. I was also surprised to find out that George is so young, and someone as young as he is has a clear vision of where his journey is going to take him, or what expectation and hope is. Um, so it is not as simple as just being a musician himself. It is rather a universal message that's going to change music and music education around the world. So how does that happen? During his year off from Harvard, he had the pleasure to conduct a youth orchestra in Orange County, where George is from. He realized that it is not because. That classical music is not cool; it's not as good as pop music, or it's too difficult to consume. But instead, the truth is, we never gave it a chance. So he said, "If I could somehow, in my life, help bring these programs back, give people a chance, or to just at least open the chapter or the cover of this wonderful book, that would be the ultimate goal of my career." So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I was simply stunned and reflected so much upon myself, my life, post producing George's episode. So I really welcome that you listen to this part as well as part one of our conversation. Find out more in this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and please keep in mind there is an. Blog post associated with these two recordings, two episodes. You can go to my website at phaseworld.com. F E I S W O R L D. Thank you so much for being my audience. Without further ado, please welcome George Co. We're now at Harvard. University and the name of the building is. Oh, so this is temporary Dunster House. I mean, they were in the midst of a remodel, so we're in the Inn at Harvard, which has been converted into a dorm for this year. Yeah, and this is a this is a piano practice room we're in、mm-hmm. right now. And you mentioned that you practice about six hours a day. If I, if I can.、Uh, three to <laughs> three can, to six. Three to six, if、mm-hmm. at least three.、Um, 
I mean, ideally, if you can practice eight hours, that would be great. I mean, some some concert pianists claim you can't practice more than six or four, mm -hmm. but for me, I need eight. <laughs> so. I, no, absolutely. And I think this is a forget about statistics and mm -hmm. averages and all that, right? It's really a program tailored to yourself. I was interviewing this um, fitness guru who's very successful, fitness um, sports illustrated um, and all that. And uh, his name is Tom Seaborn and mm -hmm. I interviewed him for two hours. And oh. he said, you know, he trains every day, seven days a week, but now when he's not in competition and all that, it's not, it's not about performance, it's not for show, it's for his uh, personal benefit. It's an hour a day. He said, but still some experts who say, you're crazy, your muscles need a rest. And he said, no, it's not for me. You know, yeah, he feels no, best. Different. I mean, you know, there's, uh, I know concert pianists who need to practice two hours before they perform or they cancel the concert. Mm -hmm. I know concert pianists that haven't practiced in two weeks, they show up, they play great, exactly. and they have a beer afterwards. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, I even know some concert pianists who have to drink a shot of vodka before they go on the stage. So yeah, How do you prepare? Know. Yeah. Um, How do you prepare yourself? See, see, it's funny. Is every a lot of pianists have these rituals. Mm -hmm. I have no ritual. I just show up. Mm -hmm. If I can practice, great. If I don't, that's too bad. Mm -hmm. I can still eat before I perform. A lot of people don't eat before they perform. I don't. <laughs> I don't really care. You're a just, You have to eat. <laughs> I have to get you know my ding tai fong in for the day. Um, yeah, I just you know go. No, it's 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 just, it's kind of a job, you know. You have to show up, you have to perform mm -hmm. well, and it doesn't matter. I mean, people are not gonna care if you're sick. Mm -hmm. I remember one time I performed at Carnegie um, for uh, the Alexander Buona Empire, <laughs> and um, I had a fever. Yeah. And you know, I was I was very tired. Mm -hmm. But you go on the stage, people can't know you have a fever. Right? You just walk on, smile, mm -hmm. play. Then afterwards, when you're walking back. To the you know uh, to the green room, you start coughing. But you know it's uh, you know my belief is it's a job, and you should treat it with some discipline. So mm -hmm. okay, you didn't practice, you got paid, still go on the stage. Yeah, but um, is it true that when you were playing on that stage, for whatever however many minutes, five minutes, twenty minutes, mm -hmm. did you feel better or did you kind of forget or ignore? I completely forgot. You know, it's um, it's it's a task. I mean, Stanford did a study, um, and they discovered that the piano, scientifically speaking, so if there are any violinists listening, they know I'm not just saying this because I'm a pianist, mm -hmm. but it is mentally the most difficult instrument in the world. Mm -hmm. It requires the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, neuron firings that of. It demands the most of the brain out of all the instruments. Mm -hmm. And so you become so focused. I mean, even if you had to sneeze, mm -hmm. once you start playing the piano in performance, you never think of sneezing again. I mean, mm -hmm. it's that, mm -hmm. you have to be that focused. You know, you're constantly thinking, you know, if you're playing a passage, you know, oh, okay, did, well, what's the next part? Okay, I'm going to play this next part. Oh, cr crud, I'll make a, I made a mistake. I'll fix that later. Don't worry about it now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you know, every, you're listening so intently, and you can hear, I always hear some lady mm -hmm. or some man in the audience opening a candy wrapper. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. Do you hear that? Or oh, you, you hear it! I mean, <laughs> no, I was playing, uh, what was I playing? I was, I was playing, uh... <laughs> I mean, 
mean, there's, there's nothing, even if you're playing, you know, fast patches, just like, I mean, you can hear it. I mean, because your job as a performer is to listen, right? When you're playing concerto, you have to like, uh, uh, you have to listen to the orchestra, so you're listening the whole time. Mm -hmm. You hear people coughing, I have heard people snoring. <laughs> I mean, Falling asleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you know, I used to think, oh man, if someone fell asleep, I must have played badly. Oh, but no. then Yo-Yo Ma told me he played one time, his dad slept the whole time. So I said, hey, <laughs> Yo-Yo Ma dad sleep all the time, then it's okay. It's okay for yeah, them. it's okay. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is hilarious. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to make you late for anything. Do you happen to have another five, ten minutes? To yeah, chat? sure. Yeah, because yeah, I want to get to the business side of things as well. I think you have a very unique set of skills. Uh, that sounds like that movie Taken. I'm oh, sure you saw it. Was like the first I have a very, you don't know who I am. <laughs> you, do know what, you do not know where I am. But I have a very, uh, I have a very specific set of skills. <laughs> and I will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like... Movie moment. Yes, it's like Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have to very. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Now we really have to get to it. Uh, but let me um, two questions before um, let you go on your day, your practice. I'm sure I'm already. We are cutting into your practice That's for sure. All right. It's all right. Let me take a break. Um, I love. I've always loved music my whole life, mm -hmm. um, and I studied playing how to play the keyboard when I was seven or eight. I remember mm -hmm. I was taking lessons for about two years because a, a neighbor's son happened to be playing the piano. <laughs> and you know, I didn't really stick with it, but I really, I enjoyed it because my mm -hmm. parents didn't push me. Then I started playing alto sax when I was mm -hmm. in high school at Freiburg Academy. We had a great music teacher. Mm -hmm. I had zero experience. Uh -huh. uh, I was a senior, but I just, I just wanted to, to play, and there was not mm -hmm. an opportunity in, in Beijing to play alto sax. And oh, that's very true, yeah. Yeah, because jazz music wasn't as, well, still probably isn't as popular, it's more popular now. And I loved it, I loved practicing. But I'm looking at you is, is because I still practice for those eight to nine months, choose to literally go to the music mm -hmm. hall, just be on my own. While all the other kids were out dating, kissing, and all that, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> I just wanted to practice, and um, that definitely touched the music teacher. He walked in one day, he was so surprised, late at night. Mm -hmm. One thing I always struggled with, I guess as a result, I didn't become a better musician, there's still a chance, is, is I, I did not memorize the music itself. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh, Again, I was not, you know, born and raised as a musician. And now I'm looking at a stack of paper here in front of me. <laughs> There's got to be like 50, 100 pages of music for one song. Oh, is this, no, this song? is this is a collection. <laughs> I mean, if I mean, I didn't bring my concerto, but that that's about 100 pages and so you um, memorize the music and I noticed mm -hmm. this through recording we're talking and you're playing. Mm -hmm. So I don't even know how to frame that question, to be honest. A hundred pages. I know some parts repeat, but for the most part, they're right. different. Well, I mean, you know, if you think about it from a from a math point of view, it is, I mean, it's pro possible to memorize because, say for example, one piece of music, I, I mean, there's a, the etude I always play is uh, Chopin's etude, Opus 10, number one, which starts as... You know, it's, um, 
I mean, it seems like it's not so bad right now, but that took t three years. You know, oh, it's wow. it because um, the way Chopin wrote this etude mm -hmm. is it stretches and collapses your hand, and it's the most one of the most awkward etudes, and um, some people can't even play it. Mm -hmm. A very famous story is um, Rubinstein was testing out pianos in in Germany, and he was playing this etude on one of the pianos and he found out a reporter was recording and he requested that reporter to delete the recording mm -hmm. because he didn't want people to hear that he was playing that piece. It's a very hard piece. So some people can do it. I mean, I've seen 12-year-olds play it, but then there's some people who never touch the piece in their lives. So when, when you work that hard on a piece, I mean, you memorize it because of, you know, the, the, the muscle memory in your fingers by looking at the score so many times. Like, um, if I'm thinking of Let's say uh, a Chopin piece I'm working on on the sixth page, you know, it will be, you know. I mean, you, know, you, just, you just know because you've looked at the score so many times. So and memorization is inevitable because of, I mean, people don't, you know, what might be fun for the podcast is people don't know how pianists practice. And so, for example, there's, if I play this one passage, to just play that little short thing, I would have to do all these different dotted rhythm practices, like... Or... Or... Or, and then I, or I would just do the top parts of my fingers. Or just the left hand. So you know, it's, there's so much you have to do just for four measures of music. That could be anywhere from two to twenty hours of work. Wow. And so when you put all of that time together, mm -hmm. you're able to memorize a piece because you spent you know a good one month to two years on it. it that reminds so. me of Malcolm Gladwell's <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, outlier, ten thousand yeah. hours. What do you think of ten thousand hours and how? You, do you even think about it in terms of practice hours? Um, I did during my year off when I started because I did the math. <laughs> because I, I did math. <laughs> I mean, I took you know, linear algebra and differential equations at Harvard. So oh, I, I did too. Know. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Math, you know, uh, that, that I, I stopped after that because the next math class I took, the average IQ was 150, and I said, Goodbye. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I did the math, and up until my year off, I only practiced almost 3,000 hours. I was, there's, I was not even close. Mm -hmm. And so I started looking at pianists who didn't have the luxury at that time. And mind you, actually, the, the real number of hours of concert pianists that have practiced to reach the level, like, say, Long Long, is more like 19 to 25,000 hours. Mm -hmm. So Malcolm Gladwell's, I mean, it, it's might be, it might work for hockey, but it doesn't work for musicians, and, and mainly because you have to practice so much that you would ingrain habits into your own body by will, mm -hmm. and that that is that is, you know, something you can't just. I mean, even ten thousand hours is a lot, but I don't think that could do it, even mm -hmm. that amount. Um, so I started looking at pianists who practice differently. And there's one pianist in particular, Arkady Volodos. He was an opera singer. And then at 17, he said to his dad, I don't want to be an opera singer anymore. I want to be a pianist. Mm -hmm. And he has the most legendary technique 
today. Mm. And so, but he started when he was 17. So how did he practice? Well, he was very efficient. You know, he would never play a piece um, through when he practiced. He would just play what he needed to work on. Mm -hmm. He would always play charity. He would always work on technique. Um, and once something was wrong, he stopped immediately and fixed it. And so that's what I did. I, I tried to change the way I practice. I'm so glad so. you brought this up because I've been a martial artist for about 14 years now. Oh, wow. What, what's, uh, what's your style? You know, when I was a kid, it's probably more than 14 years, but when I was in China, I practiced Kung Fu. It, I was very spoiled. Which, which style of Kung Fu? You know, there's the young style, and there's mm -hmm. some of that these days is intertwined with Tai Chi, but there's the Wu style, there's the young right. style. And honestly, for me, it was this a hodgepodge. It's a hodgepodge. It wasn't uh, quite official, but for the past, what about you? Sounds I, like you did yeah, too. Yeah, I, I studied uh, <laughs> Qing Shen Pai in, uh, in Sichuan. So the Qing Shen Pai is the Taoist version of Tai Chi. Uh -huh. Um, and then my, my father was a martial artist. He had he has six black belts. So he taught me. I was actually more specialized in Chinese grappling. Wow. Um, with you. So then uh, I haven't practiced in a couple of years. It would be awesome if we like if I throw you over the piano right now and slam. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have, we could spar out during an interview. That'd be interesting. Um, <laughs> to close the interview. Right. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, so, oh, but that's interesting. So you, so you studied martial arts for 14 years and... The past 14 years, 13, mm -hmm. 14 years, was very focused on Taekwondo. And the funny thing was my uncle did not approve, not that I really cared, but uh -huh. he said, you're Chinese, why are you practicing Taekwondo? And I said, we are one, remember? Um, but, you know, the thing was, as soon as I got my yellow stripe, uh, just a few months in, I was practicing every day, like the way you yeah. were with piano completely obsessed and I ran and I got my yellow stripe and my uncle was trying to attack me. I was 17, <laughs> 18 years old and he said, I'm sure you don't know what you're doing, you're just a yellow stripe and he was he was right and he trying to throw a punch at me for fun and I, all I did, I put I picked up my knee, just one of my knees and he punched right into my knee and broke his little pinky finger. And, <laughs> and I know this, this is a story I uh, haven't told on the podcast yet but I recently got my third degree black belt and oh congratulations uh, thank you and it's very special even though just by number I that's not really I'm not just going for the ranks but what you said just now about your practice it was so interesting because that's exactly how I was taught or how we practice the forms as you know uh, in Tai Chi forms sometimes there are 120 150 moves sure. just just like your music Whereas in Taekwondo, the more sophisticated forms, or could be, honestly, I haven't counted, could be Maybe like 50, 60, yeah. 70, right? And typically, it's not over 100, but it's so fascinating. My instructor, Mr. O'Malley, I watched him practice his forms, and the way he taught me was, he watches me, he's like, stop. You always start from the beginning to finish. Right? And if you watch anyone, the second half of their forms are significantly less well constructed than right. the first half. They're tired. Yeah. And they're always, you know, in the middle when yeah. it comes to tricky with Taekwondo, you could do a turning, flying side kick, and there's a wheel kick. Uh, the form I'm mm -hmm. working on is Moo Moo for it's, it's very advanced, but you, instead of just throw a side kick in the air, you gotta hold it there, yeah. <laughs> you gotta turn with one foot. 
So you need flexibility, mm -hmm. but also um, sort of stamina and like mm -hmm. strength. Um, and you typically have one or not both, but either way, right. the, the power of breaking down the form or your music to practice individually, it is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I get I can't I cannot stop start talking about Taekwondo and then we'll break into like tenth episode. But um, you know, I we've been talking for for a while. This is fascinating. I want to I want to thank you because one of my dreams was to say one day when I have enough money, you know what? That's a, that's actually a wrong excuse. Is I want to be able to travel around the world, but not just travel. I want to experience every profession out there. I could probably do that in the U.S. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a big country, and my dream is to sit down for one day or possibly one or two weeks to sit down with a, a piano player, with a you know, with a basketball player, with out of the sports realm, mm -hmm. martial artist, or an, a marketer, an advertiser, whatever that may be, and just experience like what they do, how they practice, and when do they put on a show and. It's it's awesome, but before we close the podcast, I wanted to ask a um, sort of business-related question, mm. which is, I feel like at some point, especially musicians or artists, to say, look, I'm gonna have a family as a man or a woman, right? <laughs> look, I'm not saying I need ten million dollars or anything extravagant, mm -hmm. but I need to be able to get by. Right. And. Recently, I really opened that up because working in advertising myself, I just, my mind is filled with all these opportunities, the way to market yourself. Yeah. My mom's an artist. She's like, I hate that. She's like, I hate marketing. I hate marketing myself. Right. Um, Everything's about your work, right? It's, uh, yeah. Somebody yeah. else do it. Let yeah. somebody else do it. But, yeah, I, I think, um, There, there is this thinking that you have to, that if you're the artist, you just have to work on your art form, and somebody will, you know, hold your hand and walk you through. But the thing is, all the most successful musicians, this was never the case. Um, now I have to admit, there is some element of luck. There always is, mm -hmm. but that's not always the case. And people forget that, you know, Beethoven when he premiered the Ninth Symphony, he had to knock on a lot, and he was deaf at this point, completely deaf. He had to knock on a lot of people's doors just to get music stands for the musicians. He had to find bows for the violinists. He had, you know I mean? He, he organized the entire concert by himself. Mm -hmm. wow. the, the Probably the most important symphony in classical music history was done by a man who was very entrepreneurial in that sense. You know, uh, many of these classical greats had to find ways to support themselves. I mean, Chopin, for instance, made a living not through his compositions. He made a living through teaching. And he had a very, very, very prestigious teaching studio. And he created a demand that allowed him to charge at very exorbitant rates mm -hmm. to support his living. Mm -hmm. And so we forget, as artists, that, hey, they're great artists, but they also had that same thinking. I have to have a family, you know, I want to make a living. I don't want to be poor. And mm -hmm. So I guess the advice for today is treat your career as an entrepreneurship endeavor. And don't once think that just because you're not performing at Carnegie Hall or at 
Lincoln Center that you're a failure. That's not true. The, the real failure is if you're not doing anything. And um, you find ways to get a career going. You know, there's a lot of um, artists that make fun of Long Long, for instance, because they call him, you know, they call him a sellout. He does all these commercials. He does all this stuff for Mont Blanc or Audi. But let's face the facts. He makes couple, you know, I think they estimated 20 million a year. You know, he's, yeah, he, yeah, he has an extravagant lifestyle. He is on the pop media. He plays in the Beijing Olympic opening ceremony. But he does all of that to get his name out there. Mm -hmm. But then when he records a CD or he plays at a prestigious concert hall, he is a serious musician. Right, you have to wear different hats, and I'm not saying you have to wear different hats to be like Two Face Harvey, you know, from Batman. But you, you have to wear different hats to, to you know, to find your niche, mm -hmm. right? Because you know, like an advertisement, right? You need to hit a certain demographic. Mm -hmm. You need to sell them a product. Say, for example, you need to sell, you know, a car that's geared towards college graduates in Boston from the ages of 22 to 27. Mm -hmm. And so you need to figure out, well, what can I do to make them want to buy this car? Mm -hmm. That's what you have to do as a musician. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying you should do that with your music, mm -hmm. but you should do that with the way you market yourself as a brand, as a product. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, even though, yeah, the average salary of a musician in the United States is $23,000 a year, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's absurdly low. But if you're smart and you work hard and you treat yourself as an entrepreneur instead of just an artist, mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities start opening up. Um, and you know that's the advice actually Mr. Alexander and Mr. Bonois give me. And they actually have this wonderful book. Um, and if, if you're listening and you are an, an aspiring musician, you should at least give it a look. It's called The Classical Musician Today. And that book really asks you these hard questions, but it guides you in a way to think of your career more of an as an entrepreneur, as a Mark Zuckerberg, rather than as just, you know, a young Dili, you know, just a musician. You have a very visible and a very well done internet presence of you, and meaning the places I've looked so far, you know, your website is very professionally done. Thank you. Uh, I like it. I'm not saying it doesn't need to be perfect. That's not the <laughs> idea for people out it's there. It's hard to make anything perfect. Right? right, exactly. Even as a musician, to get something out there, right. um, convincing the audience to get something up and running and don't be embarrassed by it. Mm -hmm. If you feel embarrassed, go to a very smart professor's website. Any university professor have decided unanimously that they do not need anything other than eight simple straight up HTML, you probably noticed right. that. Um, uh, but your Facebook fans, and you're probably on Twitter, I haven't looked. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Well, where well. else are, are you on? Just kind of give our audience uh, a way to, to follow you and to know how you, how you conduct your business. Right, so I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Music. My website is georgecopiano.com. I'm on YouTube, youtube.com slash georgecopiano. I'm also on Twitter, at georgecopiano. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So those are my main social networks. I'm probably going to start Instagram soon just because I love taking pictures of food. Um, 
and I actually have a food blog just for fun. Oh, what uh, is it? It's, it's, a, it's called Co Kitchen, so you can go to cokitchen.com. And I like to cook, so I post photos of what I like to cook. Um, it's just a little fun thing. Um, but yeah, so actually, with all the web presence, speaking as an entrepreneur, I did all of that on my own. I didn't hire anyone to do it for me. And I actually worked, I interned at an ad agency in high school called Superfad. And I helped create uh, commercials for Coca-Cola and Sprite. So I got to see that kind of the world. Mm -hmm. And with the, un with the background and training my father gave me through his business, you know, I was able to kind of piece everything together. And I have a brother who's a whiz at computer science and engineering, and he's also at Harvard. And uh, Wow, is he younger or? He's younger and brighter. Oh. <laughs> you know? um, and uh, yeah, he's in Adam's house. He's, um, since I took a year off, we're now both juniors. And uh, yeah, <laughs> no. so we're gonna graduate at the same time. But it's great. He's he's my best friend, and so it's uh, it'll be fun. But yeah, so you know, he helped me um, with some of the coding, um, and uh, yeah, I just I, I really just did everything on my own. I I love where you're going with this because so many people out there think it's an excuse that I'm not a computer scientist, I'm not a mathematician, right. I cannot do this. You can always do this. Mm -hmm. There is no better era than now to do oh, all yeah. of these things. Yeah, and I, th I think it's actually, mm -hmm. what? I'm just saying, even with a smartphone, oh, yeah. you can take pictures, you can advertise yourself, share your I ideas. Mean, yeah, like, so for some of the recordings I've, I've done, I've done it myself. You know, I have a Pro Tools system at home. I, I was also very lucky. I was trained by a recording engineer, uh, Nico Bolas, at uh, Capitol Records. And so he taught me how to mic a piano. You know, I learned, you know, and you can go to... You can go on Amazon right now, buy a Zoom H4n for $220 and get a pretty decent recording of yourself. You know, you could, um, you know, all the photos on my website were done by myself. You know, I, you know, it's, uh, it can be done. And there's thousands, millions of tutorials on YouTube, you know, how to build a website. I mean, you can go on, I mean, it sounds like I'm plugging for, you know, products right now, oh, but no, there's a, there's a comp great website company called Squarespace. And it's it's completely drag and drop. Just drag and drop everything, and I you can that. build a website. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did everything on WordPress just because there's a template I liked, and then I, I did some of my own code. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, there's just a bunch of free services that um, you can do. And it's so easy to get a website now. Just go on GoDaddy. and Actually, mm -hmm. don't go on GoDaddy now. Go on Google. Google has a new domain mm -hmm. site. Um, and you can buy a website, set it up in less than... You know, I built my website in about three hours, you wow. know, and so you can, anyone can do it. It's, uh, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. And uh, I think this is the perfect time, actually, to be a musician because, you know, there's so many things you can do. And think of ways to, you know, change the way you perform. Like, uh, I'm working on a project to perform, you know, hopefully at a, you know, either a car dealership or I'm a big fan of Leica. And so, um... You know, one of my things is I, I'd like to perform at a Leica store, you know, and uh, fortunately as a Steinway artist, I can have Steinway send a piano and, mm -hmm. you know, you can do an event for Steinway and Leica, mm -hmm. but play some classical music, you know, so think of ways to um, get your music out there and it doesn't always have to be at a concert hall. So true, so. it could be on YouTube, I mean, all these, yeah, yeah. you know, opportunities to kind of broadcast yourself, like what we're doing right now. It's really amazing, and especially I think piano uh, music in general is really good for podcasting. 
and you can talk about your music, share your emotions, and I love what you did, uh, bits and pieces, and you know, really add, added a significant dimension to the podcast instead of just two people talking back and forth with one another. Um, it's it's really amazing. So, wow! Like I, um, what's your next steps? Uh, what are your what, what do you want to do? Like say ten years from now, is it playing, supporting, coaching other musicians, or what does that trajectory look right now? Yeah. So um, actually, I wrote this uh, in my college essay to Harvard. Um, you know, there, there is a decline of classical music. It's very sad in this country. You know, there are less people going to the concert halls. I mean, when you walk into Boston Symphony Hall, the average age is 60. You know, it's, um, it's very real. And progressively, you know, in 20 years, there'll be no audience. So what are you going to do? You know, if I'm a classical musician. I don't want to play for no one. I mean, unfortunately, the reality is I do need to make a living. I need to put food on the table. But more importantly, we're going to lose this appreciation for this wonderful art form. So my, my dream uh, is to work with the U.S. government and the White House um, to create a task force to help reinstitute all the music appreciation programs in every public school in this country. And in the 50s, there was a music appreciation class in all these schools. And those are the people that are sitting in the audiences today, the people that benefited from this wonderful public education system that has now just been crippled with bad debt, um, you know, uh, unnecessary resources and spending. You know, I mean, these schools have to cut all their artistic programs just to get teachers to come teach not even five classes a day. And so, you know, I would love to work with the government to see if there's a way we can get these school, these programs back, get these artistic teachers back, and inspire these children to keep playing their instruments, and to sponsor local orchestras and community orchestras that these students can perform in, and, and show them that this is music worth looking at, this is music worth playing and enjoying. I, 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 so I, conduct, I guess conducted a youth orchestra during my year off in Orange County, and I was asked to conduct a bunch of first to fifth graders. And can you imagine, you have to try to inspire the most energetic group of people in the entire world to play slow music, you know, slow word music. I mean, we were playing Ravel. And, um, but I, I treated it as a way of accomplishing something. And when, when we played the piece and we finally performed, Every child had a smile on their face, and they were so excited, and they were so pumped to practice, to, to do the next big show. Mm -hmm. and, and, then I saw, and then I realized something. It's not classical music is boring, or it's dead, or it's not interesting, or pop music is easier to consume. It's just we never gave it a chance. Mm -hmm. That's really what it is. And so if I can some way in my life help bring these programs back, to help give people a chance to at least you know, open the cover of this wonderful book. You know, that would be the the ultimate goal for my career. So, you'll be the next we'll uh, Jamie Oliver. <laughs> I, I you like cooking? You must know uh, who he is. Yeah, yeah. You know, he brought fresh food to local schools. Yeah. You know, and it's just there's so much of what he does that I love, and mm -hmm. but what you're doing, it's uh, it's almost more significant. I mean, it's just as significant. You know, it's. 
really incredible and I feel uh, very blessed to have you on my show and oh, it's my pleasure thank you for having me thank you it was so much fun and really best of luck um, to all your endeavors and um, keep us keep me posted keep us posted Absolutely. yeah and see how it goes and um, it'll be awesome to have uh, a follow-up to this as well yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F E I S W O R L D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.